Here is a motion picture film. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Listeners, and welcome to Film Swap. My name is David Seeley, and uh, my co-host is my good friend, uh, Mr. Jonathan Pritchard Barrett, the ecstatic gaucho himself, in the yeah. flesh. Oh. Hi there, that's me. <laughs> Although you're technically not in the flesh, are you? Because you're actually no. quite geographically fairly far away from me, aren't you? Yes, I'm in the flesh here, but I am not in the flesh with you. <laughs> oh, man, it's just blowing my mind. All this, like, uh, whoa. <laughs> anyway, um, cool. Well, anyway, well, I'm glad you're here or there or wherever you are. And, uh, and I'm glad you're here too, listeners, because tonight we're having a bit of a special episode. We, yeah. uh, when we were discussing our plans uh, for the next show... Uh, we decided we th- we thought we should do a little bit of a tribute to uh, the great William Friedkin who passed yeah. away on the 7th of August uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, William Friedkin, he's quite a seminal figure in the uh, world of cinema, um, not least of which is because he, d- he did kind of a slam-bang uh, double... True basket, didn't Double he? Dunk. Of, yes, of all time film classics, uh, two of perhaps uh, the two of the biggest films of the seventies. Uh, you know, discounting Jaws and Star Wars, of course, but uh, phenomenal, huge success stories and and really great films, uh, namely being uh, the French Connection and The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, but of course we don't want to talk about those two because we reckon that like, I mean, what's there to say about those films already? They're very, very popular films. I think it probably most people have seen them and, uh, they are like bonafide classic films that are really great. And I don't think, um, I'm quite sure there's many, many podcasts out there with people talking about those films. So yeah. what we thought we'd do is actually talk about a couple of his films that are perhaps not quite so uh, well-known to the the general mass audience. And we thought we'd uh, uh, have a look at them tonight. So, uh, Jonathan, do you want to talk, uh, just introduce very briefly the first film that we were going to talk about tonight? Yes, uh, my film actually is Blue Chips, and it's from 1994, and it's a sports drama starring Nick Nolte and uh, the great Shaquille O'Neal, uh, bas- basketball player. And what you might be thinking, why has it got a basketball player in it? Because it's all about basketball, funny enough. <laughs> it's it is indeed. And he's quite, I mean, we were just talking before we came on the show about the fact that neither of us, I mean, we're proper sort of nerds, aren't we, Jonathan? Bon- yeah. Bonafide self, uh, you know, we, we completely um, sort of admit to our complete and utter nerddom. And that uh, includes the fact that we neither one of us have the least bit of interest in 
spectator sports <laughs> whatsoever. Much, I, I mean, I, like I actually really, I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest and blunt that I really don't give a monkeys about any of that stuff at all. It doesn't interest me in the slightest. And uh, that's just the way it is. I, I grew up, you know, with books and comics and music and films and never developed any kind of interest uh, for sports at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, Pretty much the same with me. I'm yeah. never really had much interest in it. Um, uh, especially uh, watching it. I don't mind play when I, I was on holiday last week. Well, we were both on holiday, not together. But uh, I did take a little badminton set, played a bit of badminton. <laughs> which is fun, but um, that's about as far as it goes, really. It's certainly fun with the kids or with mates or whatever to go and yeah. have a little kick about or, yeah. you know, have, have a little bit of fun like that and stuff. But but um, when it gets into sort of watching other people do it, sort of people kicking a ball around and, and you know, and then the, the people take it really seriously, don't they? And they get really sort of, Lots you know, and, they, and they, they spend a lot of time. Uh, talking about you know this player and that player and uh, what happened last night in the game and stuff like that. So, um, but you know if that's your bag and you like that kind of stuff, go go for it. You know we're we're totally you know sort of cool with what you like is what you like and yeah that's the way it is. But this film uh, is quite an interesting film because it's a little bit about the sort of the back back behind the scenes goings on of uh of college basketball isn't it college sports it is it is indeed yeah <clears throat> it's uh, basically um the the story is roughly that uh nick nolte plays a college basketball coach called pete bell and he's very successful but then um the sort of the start of the story his success has suddenly sort of come to an end. He's had an unsuccessful uh, season and he needs to get really good players in order to uh, regain that success, that form of success. And um, so the sort of plot of the film is basically how does he get those players? Because it's quite difficult um, because everybody else wants those players as well, the good players. Yeah. And they it's kind of like it, it, it's a film at its heart. It's really a, a kind of a, an examination of, a, of an ethical dilemma, isn't it? About yes. the, the compromises that people make in order to succeed, or uh, uh, you know, or how how can they hold to their principles when uh, when there's a lot of these external pressures and things uh, coming yeah. to bear on them. But anyway, it's a really interesting film, and uh, we're we're going to spend a little bit of time talking uh, a bit in depth about it tonight, yeah. and convince you, hopefully, listeners out there, to go and seek it out and check it out, uh, because it's it's quite a good film, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, my film tonight that I uh, put forward was a film of uh, Friedkin's, the one that he made after The Exorcist, when he was absolutely at the top of his game. He was a major success story, and of course, all the, uh, the film studios were like sort of saying, "Hey, Will, Bill, uh, what are you going to do next? What, what, uh, what are we, what, what, what can we do with you here?" And uh, he chose to do uh, a remake 
of a, a Clouseau film called uh, The Wages of Fear. And uh, he, he took uh, Roy Scheider and some other really great uh, character actors from around the world, and they went down to, what, sorry, what country did they shoot this in again? I can't remember. I think they Columbia. in a few countries. Yeah, Primarily a few countries. in the Dominican Republic, it says. And they had to double dip on it. It was both Universal and Paramount Pictures uh, uh, paid to put money into the production. And it had all kinds of production problems and went over budget and was, you know, late and and all that sort of thing. So uh, the film, in the end, it came out in 1977, right at the same time as Star Wars. And uh, obviously the two of them in in a fight for box office receipts. Uh, it yes. turns out, oddly enough, that that uh, relatively unknown commodity, Star Wars, won the day, <laughs> and Sorcerer <laughs> sort of sank and uh, and uh, was critically lambasted and all that kind of thing, and kind of sunk without a trace. Yeah. Uh, but actual fact, it is a really, really uh, exciting, nail-biting action adventure film, uh, and it's got a lot of. Uh, depth and and really quite amazing visuals and things and it's a really really great film that's worth seeking out so we're gonna have a little discussion about that one tonight too and try and convince you to maybe go and check that one out as well yeah yeah great well now that we've set the stage i think what we're gonna do is we're gonna go and uh, take a little break towel off come back uh, for the listener, uh, this is literally going to be just a few seconds. Uh, we do it every time. We're just basically going to plug in a, a little uh, um, advert for our social media platforms, uh, which we know you're going to be interested in going to check out. I love it. You'll love it. <laughs> you so will good. absolutely love it. Uh, so anyway, so listen very carefully for the details because you're going to want to check those out. And then, uh, then we'll be back to talk about our first film, Blue Chip. So, hey, don't go away. Stay right there. We will be back. See you in a minute. Just a second. You can follow the Film Swap on social media. We're on Twitter and TikTok at FilmSwap UK on Instagram at FilmSwap Media, and on YouTube at FilmSwap underscore podcast, and at Facebook at FilmSwap The Podcast. And we're back. We are back. And uh, welcome back, listeners. Uh, we are going to now hand it over to the uh, fantastic Jonathan Pritchard Barrett, who is going to uh, introduce Blue Chip, the first of our William Friedkin double bill. Yes, so blue chip, incidentally, are blue chips are athletes, particularly high school players, targeted for drafting or signing by teams at the college level. And um, so they're players who are scouted by professional franchises. They can sometimes be referred to as blue chips. So that sort of helps you understand what's going on here. And I should say that high school, no, sorry, college or what we'd call university uh, sport in America is, uh, or perhaps in North America, maybe Canada as well, is a much bigger deal than it is in the UK uh, and perhaps the rest of the world. Um, and there's sort of quite a lot of money involved. You have huge, great stadiums for American football or NFL. 
And, they're all uh, shown on TV and everything, aren't they? And they have like, so there's a big sort of, you know, um, market for the, for the college athletes. Yeah. And the, uh, yeah. I've spoken to Americans who say, yeah, I only watch college uh, football because right. the NFL is, uh, I don't know, it doesn't have the purity for somehow. Um, and, um, but they said that, they, you know, they, these, some of these stadiums for, for college football are bigger than the NFL ones, pretty much, or right. at least the sort of similar size. Anyway, so this is um, basketball, so it's not quite on the same scale, but uh, still it's very competitive. And um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Nick Nolte is this uh, college basketball coach called Pete Bell. And he's actually based on a real uh, baseball mm. coach, basketball coach, sorry, not base, uh, basketball coach, uh, called uh, Bob Knight. And the thing about both Bob Knight and um, Nick Nolte, well, Nick Nolte's character, is that Bob Knight was a very volatile character. You can read his Wikipedia page. He's always basically strangling people, punching them. <laughs> real life things like this getting into all sorts of trouble he he takes it extremely seriously and uh sounds like it yeah definitely he's clobbering people and um so uh nick nolte's pete bell is not isn't quite as bad but he does you know shout at them quite a lot He's very passionate and very, very uh, passionate. And, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, assertive, shall we say? <laughs> assertive, assertive. He doesn't, doesn't, doesn't uh, strangle them, but he does yell at them quite a lot. And it starts yes. from the very beginning. There's this sort of because uh, there's a. It starts off with losing the season, or losing the final game of the season, at least. And he yeah. goes into the um, changing rooms and berates them. And then leaves yeah. and can't help himself, but has to go back in. Yeah. Not once, it's, but twice he goes in. It's, basically... it's a terrific opening, actually. It's very funny because he comes in. I mean, at first he's just having a right old go of them. And he is, it's like, and then just when you think he's spent, he walks out of the room. And then two seconds later, he comes charging back in. And another thing. Yeah. Oh, like this. And he does it about like sort of three or four times, doesn't he? Yeah. It's brilliant. It's and there's funny. a great poster on the wall that says, what you see in here, what you hear in here, let it stay here when you leave here. <laughs> uh, I guess not a very uh, 2020s sentiment. No, no. <laughs> but um, quite amusing. Well, yes, it is interesting, like, because I thought that, like, is in, in um, most normal workplaces, certainly nowadays, that, that kind of uh, behavior uh, could be lead to at the very least some sort of disciplinary action or, or lawsuits or things like that but obviously these are uh, I mean th- these are students aren't they they're students at the they're college students, who are yeah. this is supposed to be an extracurricular activity that they do but actually in the in the course of the in the uh, sort of college uh, uh, campuses all over the United States uh, this is a big deal and it becomes this sort of this focal point and a lot of these yes. kids come to the schools uh, on these scholarships just be specifically because of their athletic ability yeah. and that is kind of their currency their leverage to get themselves into college yeah. and to uh, 
you know, because they're 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 very skilled at, at the sports, that get that's their ticket to get a scholarship and yeah. get into the college and get an education. So uh, the importance of 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 the two sometimes are in conflict, aren't they? Yeah, well, I know somebody who uh, uh, studied at an American university, and um, their entire fees were paid by the university. Mm. But they had to do their sport. I mean, they happened to the the um, educational side wasn't an issue for them, mm. but um, it did mean a lot of sport. They sort of go and do their sport at six o'clock in the morning every day, and you mm. know, quite hard work, frankly. Yeah, but it would be. It was all and even them. like it's because it's quite interesting because there's a couple of characters in this film where quite clearly they're they're maybe they're academic side isn't isn't as uh, strong as their athletic side yes but then of course the college that goes out well out of their way to support the, yeah. them to to maintain certain average they get them tutors and go to all kinds of trouble to make sure that they can maintain a certain you know educational level so that they can stay in the in the uh, sports team yeah you know so this is all really uh, interesting. Yeah. So basically, old Pete Bell, Nick Nolte, or Nick Nolte's character, has to go and hire some um, new athletes uh, who are going to basically save the team because he's mm. won before. He's got all these acts of um, uh, sort of medals on the wall. They're not actually medals, but they they hang there. And um, so he wants to go and get the the best of the sort of high school students. And so the next bit is he goes around to all these um, sort of schools and um, tries to interest the uh, students in sort of coming to his university. But there's a problem that basically they're not allowed to be they're not allowed to be paid. It's all amateur. And um, so how do you sort of entice them to your university? Hmm. And the competition between the universities is absolutely you know, fierce yeah. for the best players. They all want the absolute best guys. So they go out of their way to try and entice them to decide to come to their particular college. Exactly. Exactly. And you've got a problem where you're sort of strictly, or well, at this stage, they were strictly meant to just sort of say, come to our college, you'll get a very good education and we'll be very nice to you, but you're not actually meant to do any more than that really. Mm. Um, and um, so there's a sort of temptation to basically, because uh, there's lots of money in it for the university, or the mm. college, and uh, the sort of sports facility and everything. So the temptation is to basically give them some sort of well, bribes, incentive. I guess. <laughs> incentive. Incentive. Yes. I mean, you could say it as bribes, or you could say it as yes. a sort of a, a wage that's their due, really, or some sort of incentive that's their due because they're not getting anything out the college gets all the benefit and they don't get any benefit um well they get a free uh sort of university education i suppose but anyway beyond that um they don't get much and it, it uh, yes noted too that the this particular nick nolte school has a uh is quite proud of their reputation for being a a clean school in the sense that they don't have any 
uh, you know, and they don't resort to any of this kind of stuff and they play by all the yep. rules the dodgy and stuff. do that. And there, there's quite a great pride that uh, Nick Nolte's character, character takes in maintaining that. And part of that comes from apparently there had been some sort of a scandal about point shaving point sort shaving. of a few years prior to this, to when the story starts. Yeah. So he's, he's particularly keen to make sure that the school maintains that reputation for being clean and not resorting to any kind of, uh, you know, bribery or, or any kind of rule yes. bending of any kind. Point shaving is basically to have a max fi match fixing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he goes out and goes to all these, which is really an interesting part of the film. He goes to different parts of uh, the States to, I think he goes to, is it three or four different uh, students mm -hmm. sort of neighborhoods and homes uh, which is a sort of interesting um, look at sort of perhaps a part of America you may not see all the time. He goes to some like farming sort of region. Mm. He goes to, uh, I think, the south side of uh, Chicago and um, uh, tries to encourage these people to come and join. And uh, basically, I mean, it's not giving too much away, but essentially the he has to bow to the sort of logic of the inducements and um, they get these they basically buy off these guys to come and play for them and then yeah. the sort of the rest of the film is about the sort of repercussions kind of browbeat doesn't he into participating by the you know there's like these former alumni who are now maybe yes. successful businessmen but they still have a stake in the the team doing well <clears throat> for yes. various reasons so they they uh find ways around uh you know the rules to enable to to make these payments or buy you know like they basically buy things for them or their yes. families you nice to uh, do it without that being traced which is yeah really they try and do it and cover it up yeah uh, and it brings up some interest because the 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 key thing is some of these kids wouldn't otherwise be able to have access to a college education because, yeah. you know, whether it's economics or because of their, you know, their academic uh, uh, history, they, yeah. they don't, they wouldn't normally necessarily have, have the ability to be able to go to college. No. And obviously when you get a college education, that gives you more opportunities and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, potential for more success in yeah. life, uh, having yeah, a better yeah. life. So yeah, for yeah. them, it's a big deal. And so the, and, and there's quite, uh, especially I quite liked the bit with Elfrey uh, Woodard's character, who, who's the mom who, uh, uh, yeah. you know, and she's a great actor. She's always uh, great in whatever bits that she does, but she uh, plays this mother who quite recognizes that her son's abilities in athletics is his ticket to having a, you know, a better, you know, a better life and, you know, economically and everything. And so yeah. she takes a quite a, um, uh, you know, a, a firm stance in making sure that he gets the absolute best deal. And she's a bit of a sort of, they describe her as being really fierce and really hard work or whatever. But yeah. she's also interesting because obviously she's like wants the absolute best for her uh, son and herself yeah. and her family as well, because she gets some benefits out yeah. of the situation yeah. as well. So I'd have to say, you know, the 
I sort of slightly feel like it was a ridiculous situation. These people didn't get money for it, and I sort of didn't really blame the the corruption at all. Really. really? Yeah, because I thought, well, it should have been, it should have got some money out of it, you know. Well, that's why certainly not the argument. Lots of money that... into the, <laughs> to the college, and in fact, one of the one of the things that um, so that one of the great characters in it is uh, J.T. Walsh. Yeah, yeah, he was a and, great actor. I think he passed away, didn't he? Quite young. Yeah, in his fifties. He was a really good actor. Unfortunately, and, he was a um, smoker, which uh, basically yeah. got from him in his in his fifties. And um, but he, he's the sort of baddie. He's this guy who's sort of doing all the corruption, really. Yeah. Um, but he does say at one stage to uh, Pete Bell, "We owe these kids." It's like, yeah, you do owe these kids. And yeah, I mean, it is true because there's a lot of money that's generated from these sporting events and these exactly. things. But you could also make the argument, though, just to, to say the 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 other side of that argument. Yeah. Is that it? That money isn't necessarily being distributed fairly, is it? It's only being used to incentivize uh, to attract the absolute top people, but some of the other players who aren't in that position aren't necessarily getting those same kind of that same kind of treatment, are they? Maybe. Although I yeah. suppose at that level, if you're even good enough just to get on the team, I suppose. I think most of them get would would have. I, but apparently the law has changed now, and so okay. they are. So lots of these, lots of the, the um, sort of corruption issues, as it were, in this film, have now um, changed, and basically they uh, would they get paid. And oh, it's a bit like the well, Olympics was was amateur, but now it's you know, got professional professionals in it. Well, I guess that is one solution, isn't it? Is that if you actually just pay everyone equitably? Sorry. At, at, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> I won't spend the whole length of the episode trying to say uh, that word. But <laughs> um, the uh, the uh, the thing is that the if you pay everyone, then the then you don't need to to fall into that trap where you're trying to sneakily no. pay people to, and trying to attract the the big talent. No, I mean ultimately, you know, it comes down to money, and it is a bit sort of sad that it's come down to that like with these enormous wage packets of footballers soccer players um that you hear about these sort of but well that's just i don't know that's the logic of it essentially and it's uh difficult to know but i guess some would argue you because you can see that here in in the sort of the football like exactly british football or european football when i say football but you know the 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 idea that all of this drives up because where you have just an amateur sport or you have a sport that's uh, sort of accessible to people as a form of entertainment and something that they could do, but all yeah. of this paying people more and more money and trying to attract the bigger talent and the pay packets go up and up, it actually drives the cost of everything up. And, yeah. and and then it kind of, you know, be, becomes more and more of an elitist kind of thing. Oh, very you much. can see that phenomenon even sort of in corporate environments and things like that, where there's this drive to where there, there, these certain individuals have a perceived, and it's yeah. important to stress that, that it's a perceived value that they bring 
over yeah. and above anyone else who, who works in a place. So they get paid, uh, you know, vastly higher uh, disproportionately to the other people in the organization. So you can see that sort of phenomenon in all kind of walks of life, not just in sports. Yes, but I think in sport, you can definitely say that a really good sports person mm-hmm. is, you know, sort of, you know, they're, it's not mm-hmm. necessarily what it is perceived because it's a perception, but it's, yes. Uh, yes. It, it's based on genuine skill. You know, there's only one sort of Shaquille uh, yes. O'Neal and that sort of yeah. stuff. I, I suppose you could argue, yeah, obviously some people have stronger aptitudes for some things exactly. than people do. But, I mean, there is that uh, debate about whether, about how you place a value on those different things. Yeah. Which ones bring more value. Obviously, in a sporting event, someone who's particularly skilled at a certain ath- athletic uh, discipline, they they have a value. But all the other yeah. people in that team also do as well they do they all play a part in working together to achieve a goal yes you know then it just comes down to semantics about who's who adds more value there than somebody else well one of the messages about this seems to be that in this sport it's about the players not the team or the coach because you know obviously in a sport it all comes down to team teams team play Mm -hmm. uh but uh here it's uh it's about the players who you can buy essentially. Yeah. Uh, and not even uh, Nick Nolte. I mean, he's important, but he's not as important as the uh, the players and the, these sort of star players that they're trying to hook. Mm. And uh, anyway, so he uh, essentially gets uh, um, caught up in this cr- sort of corruption thing and uh, what will happen. And so you've got these two parallel stories. Will the team uh, win at the end of the uh, yeah. next season and then will he get brought down by the corruption and yeah. um, his sort of moral weakness as it were and uh, yeah it's, it's 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 a good film I, I guess for me not being a basketball pl- fan particularly that I did have that sort of slight issue but even the there's one sort of final game at the end which is sort of the big game and I yeah, it was it was it was exciting. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you bring that up because that is the one thing for me about the film. Because uh, while while it was you know the Nick Nolte character he was he was an interesting chap. Nick Nolte's great actor. He could probably you know um, act the back of a cereal packet and make it really good. Yeah, it's just one of those guys. I really like him as an actor. He. Um, when the story is about his character and his ethical dilemma and his the pressure that he's under to try and keep the team successful and to keep his job and all that, and that is kind of the really the meat of the story and yeah. and meeting the other characters, the 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 athletes who come as you say they're they're each from different walks of life and have different sort of uh, perspectives and you know, have different situations. So all that's quite interesting. But what I struggled with a bit towards the end of the film was it's got the big match at the end, doesn't it? It does. The the difference with this is because usually in a sports film where they build up a story to the big match where they're going to have the big thing. But this match is actually the very first game of the season. And it doesn't actually have any 
significance beyond the fact that it just reestablishes that the team is going to win again, that they're a good team and that right. they have the potential to win yeah. this, in that season. But it's actually the first game of the season. I hadn't even thought of that. I, just, I thought it was the last. I thought we'd sort of fast forwarded a whole year, and it was the last game. No, no, not at all. That, that oh, this, and this is the thing that I felt really weird because it's filmed and and treated like the big match at the end, the big yeah. climactic sort of big thing showdown at the end. What's going to happen? And it's filmed like that, and it's you're kind of made to feel like that it's that kind of exciting mm. sort of match. Yeah. Then, but then I was sitting back thinking, well, but this is just the first game of the season. That's and true. the real story isn't even about the actual match at all, really, because it's more about the the ethics of the behind yeah. the scenes and the, the bribery and the, the potential scandal. Yeah. That's where the story is. That's what the story is about. But the film spends that last sort of big 20 minutes having this big match with all the, the basketball players and the yeah, yeah. cuts and the, you know, and all that. And I, and I suppose it is exciting and everything in terms of, you know, a, a, like a sporting match, but yeah. I couldn't help in the back of my mind the whole time going, well, can we not just get on with the actual story now? Like, what is the point of all this? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess they set them up that, that they could well win uh, at the end yes. of the next I year. Mean, yes. Uh, Which is yeah. enough. That's all you need, really, isn't it? I, for me, I mean, again, a big, and obviously we've established that we're not big sports fanatics. So for me, although, you know, it, I I like a film, like a, a story about sports people and and mm. things like that. Like, uh, And I like the big match at the end. And if it's filmed in an exciting way and, and it's done in a, you know, it, it can be an exciting experience in the cinema to yeah. watch the big match at the end. And yep. that's how this one, I think, was meant to come across. Mm. But I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't the whole time. It was just in the back mm. of my mind is why are we belaboring this so much? Because Interesting. I'd just get on with the actual story. Yeah, <laughs> well, because I, I haven't, I guess if you're going to do a sports film, you do need a big sort of sporting, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Display I guess, yeah. game. Yeah. Match, yeah, and like I said, don't get me wrong, because it was it's it's a nice little bit of filmmaking there, like the yep. exciting, you know, the people jumping up and putting the balls through the hoop, and you know, hey, pass it over there, and you know, Nick Nolte at the side yelling and pointing his finger and going, get over there, do this, you He's know, doing and, lots that. Of that. and it's sort of like you know, but that's but you know, at the same time, you could watch that on TV like every week. They got these sporting events, and you can look at the coaches yelling at the referee and. You know, one thing I heard, uh, well, I got a quote actually from uh, William Friedkin himself. Mm-hmm. So, because the film didn't do particularly well at the box office. No, no, uh, there was a bit of a backlash against it for some reason. Um, yeah, although it's uh, had a bit of a reappraisal. There's a very interesting yeah. article on Esquire.com, on Esquire magazine. They say, well, they basically reappraise it as, as, a, as a good film. And uh, it includes this quote from William Friedkin uh, from 2013 where he basically said it was impossible to make a good basketball film. And the reason is, the thing about basketball is that it's so spontaneous. When I see these coaches drawing up plays and telling guys to go here or there, watch how the players are pretty much not even listening. You can't control the game. So that's the thing. He was trying to sort of bottle magic, mm. the, and uh, you can't do it. Mm. And that, that I guess that was part of the, I mean, that's a sort of, 
it's not all of the film, but it's, it's a, well, definitely yeah. a big part of it. That sounds like, like perhaps to me that comes across as a little bit of kind of retroactive, you know, sort of rationalizing why things, yeah. why the film didn't go over as well as he'd hoped. That's the way I would interpret that. Yes. Because to me, like I said, that the story isn't about the matches itself. No. It's it's about the characters and the and the the issues and the conflicts that they're experiencing, and that's what the story is really about. Yes, so, exactly. And well, the film basically finishes off oh, this article on um, Squire. He basically says, which I, I sort of would agree with, well, agree with you, and it, it agrees with you that it's basically about the sort of the moral dilemma. And it's he says it's basically a sort of cynical film that mm. you know the power corrupts essentially or money corrupts, and so which made me think it's basically a seventies film. But it was made in the 90s when things were less cynical. So the sort of the 60s or, or, the or maybe they're so cynical now that people aren't sort of, you know, uh, impacted the same way by the these concepts and things. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Cuz I think there's a kind of a almost a, a like an understanding about yeah, it's all a racket and it's all cuz I mean, I've had conversations like that like um, just you know, with people at work or talking about the football and things like that, yeah. and I've, I've people kind of make those kind of statements, or when they're talking about politics and things like that, everyone kind of has that nod. It's like that Leonard Cohen song, isn't it? Like everybody knows the game's fixed. Everybody yes. knows it's a racket. The dice are loaded. But that's just the way it goes, exactly. And it's yeah. um, uh, so maybe that's the thing is like blue chips. Maybe you're right. It was, it was. Um, too late to make any kind of impact because I think anyone would look at the story and kind of go, yeah, you know, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That's another, <laughs> another, another um, yeah, angle on it. Yeah. yeah. But somehow it didn't, didn't do particularly well. Uh, yeah, another interesting thing about it is the, uh, the sort of religion, because uh, of course he's best known for, well, not quite best known, best known equally for uh, the French connection, but also, uh, the Exorcist, which is all about exorcism, and one of the sort of little details in this is that where uh, the when he when Pete Bell, the coach, goes to sort of um, get these uh, guys to to his team, uh, religion always seems to play a part in it. So when he goes yeah. to the um, uh, the first uh, team member, who's it turns out is uh, Roman Catholic, and he says, "Oh yeah, I was brought up a Roman Catholic." And um, it's just like a small detail. You don't. You think, okay, well, let's sort of make sense of it. And then, and then he goes to the next person, and they uh, who are Baptists, and uh, so yeah, yeah. he's brought up Baptists. And the dad goes, "Were you first Baptist or Southern Baptist?" Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, and he had to think about it. And you know, yes. Yeah, I was Southern. Was it but Southern? It, no, yeah. first. First, oh, I think. It? Yeah, he got oh, okay. he got the right type of Baptist. <laughs> anyway, whichever one it was, I guess yeah. he had to sort of clock it and think, yeah, these guys yeah, are first yeah. Baptists. Oh, and then one he was brought up Pentecostal. He Pentecostalist. Said, yeah, I was Pentecostals. Up in the Pentecostal church, absolutely. And it was like, yeah, that was quite a funny bit because every time he he would say whatever the right thing was to you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, the the film does have like it it has a good sense of humor to it. It's got some good you know funny bits and. It's, so it's you know you know it's not all sort of you know 
dour drama and stuff. It's uh-huh. actually, you know, and and again, I I would. Um, it's got a great cast. A lot, a lot of we've already. Oh yeah, great music. Know, people, yeah, yeah. Nile Rogers uh, yeah. is basically part of the uh, sort of key figure in the sort of soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and do you see who wrote the uh, screenplay? No, no, but uh, the, the screenplay was uh, written by a chap called Ron, Ron Shelton. Shelton. Yeah. And Ron Shelton uh, is responsible for Bill Durham, which was made just a few years earlier, and right. White Men Can't Jump, both sort of sporting movies, and the right, second right. one quite, about quite good uh, ones, basketball. Quite successful ones as well, yeah. So that's brilliant. That's mm. brilliant. Yeah, and I forgot to mention Lou Gossett Jr., who uh, who's in it for a few minutes. He's just in one kind of scene, isn't he, as one of the agents for, for some of the kids in the high school, isn't he? Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's someone like, uh, you know, he was quite a big uh, actor in films for for quite a number of years, but I don't know, um, is he still with us? Uh, yeah, he's still alive. He uh, yeah. Oh, gosh, he's 87. Yeah. Wow. And there's lots of other, um, it's absolutely, if you're a basketball fan, it's absolutely packed with uh, basketball players and also other sort of uh, basketball people, um, agents and coaches and managers and whatnot. Um, yeah. I mean, old Shaquille O'Neal, I guess is best known, or Penny Hardaway. I don't know. I've never heard of him. Yeah. Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal actually went from this. He actually did have a little bit of a film career, didn't he, after this? He did some, he one in or two other things. Dream, was he yeah. in the, the Space Jam thing? Space Jam, that's it. Lo- Looney Tunes. And I think he did one or two other things as well. He did was, he? For a while, he was... He was um, he had a little bit of a side career as, as an actor, didn't he? Um, as well as his basketball career. Uh, yeah, it was funny because I'd heard the name, not knowing much about basketball, I didn't really know who he was. And I, and when these actors sort of turn turn up, I think, is that Shaquille O'Neal? Is that Shaquille O'Neal? But then when he oh, turns right. up, it, instantly, they didn't have to say, yeah, exactly. like, oh, yeah, that's, that's him. He's sort of... <laughs> well, I guess I could think because I don't really follow basketball or whatever, and that's how I know him as a familiar face in sort of the 90s as a, like he was on in some films and TV shows and stuff. And so, yeah. and, you know, in adverts, he did a lot of sort of TV adverts and stuff. So I kind of just know him that more as, as a celebrity okay. rather, rather than as a, as an athlete, okay. you know, but obviously he is most famous for his, for his athletics. So, yeah. So there you go. But because I'm a nerd and I, I so I only know the, the, uh, the side of him, the, the sort of the, you know, the, the, uh, personality on, on the television and stuff yeah. like that. So, uh, but anyway, he's terrific. I mean, I love his character in this cause he's kind of, he's kind of the wise one who, uh, you know, um, you know, his politics, he's trying to, you know, make, make, uh, his points about, uh, you know, inequality and things like that. And mm. he's quite a cool character and he's kind of the, the honor, not to a bit of a spoiler alert here, but he's kind of like more the honest one, of the you know the other players that they're trying to bribe and entice to come on and he's not you know he's not into that he's kind of you know he disdains all that and he's he's there for other reasons because he wants to get an education yes you know and and he has a sort of a different agenda and and so he's quite a cool character yeah he's a a good character character. another thing that occurred to me whilst watching it uh because i've watched a few documentaries about lance armstrong 
And um, so uh, there's a recent one when, he, and he basically just sort of says, you know, if I if I wasn't doing it, uh, I wouldn't win uh, doping essentially. And um, so, because everybody else is at it, um, and that seemed to be the sort of the thing, the message here in a way that uh, these people were saying, you know, if we don't sort of bribe these students, somebody else is going to get them by bribing them. So, yeah, yeah. it's a sort of race, race to the bottom. Um, yeah, seems yeah, to be that. yeah, exactly. I mean, that you hear that attitude in all sorts of uh, walks of life again, and, and when people say, "Oh, well, if, if we don't do it, someone else will do it." You know, yes, but better, I, better we do it than they do it. Sort of yeah, so, yeah. But it has to be said that it seems that they've changed the rules in uh, basketball to allow sort of them to be go professional, essentially college basketball. But they haven't changed the rules in uh, cycling to allow people to dope. <laughs> so, right. well, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what to say about that, except, uh, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully they don't go that route because that would be so quite, you know, it would just become something else entirely. Wouldn't it? But it would. It would. Who knows what the future holds? Yes. And, uh, yeah, but it's it's definitely worth a watch, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, I think cause I, it was actually funny because when we first talked about it, we, when we were deciding what which Friedkin films to do, I, for some reason, didn't remember that I'd seen this before. But then literally in that first opening scene with Nick Nolte coming in, in and out of the thing, I oh, immediately yeah. went, oh, I have seen this before. I remember this. And right. then I, you know, I remembered it. So I had uh, seen okay. it before when it came out, I guess, when it was right, made. right. And I just kind of, I guess, because it'd been so many years, I just sort of had forgotten it. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, what, what that tells you about it, but. But uh, it, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film. And like yeah. I said, it has a good sense of humor and it's entertaining. So, and it just works as an interesting drama. Yeah. And uh, and Nick Nolte's terrific in it. And, great, uh, I mean, great all, all the cast is terrific in it, really. Yeah. And uh, I definitely would uh, recommend that people go and check it out because it's, it's, it's worth an evening's entertainment, definitely. Most certainly. And you can watch it. I think you watch it. You can watch it on uh, YouTube. I think that's where I watched it. Um, and um, well, while you're working that out, I mean, I'll say I just rented it on Apple TV, and I do know that there is a Blu-ray from Imprint in Australia. Okay. It, uh, so if if people were interested in owning a physical copy of it, um, that is available for for purchase in all the usual ways you can watch it on youtube google play movies apple tv and amazon prime video but i found that youtube and well, it turns out google play movies are cheaper than the other two options oh right. pound. okay you save yourself a pound oh well there well definitely yeah if you can save yourself a bit of money because then you can save that money up to try and bribe someone to do something <laughs> you want <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, so anyway, on, on that uh, silly little joke, I think we're going to, shall we, shall we um, move on to the next film? Shall we move on to the next film, just in the interest of time? Yep. Uh, and uh, and I'm sure we've got lots to talk about. So folks, uh, please just sit right where you are, because we're going to go away for just a second. And then we're going to come yes. back and we're going to talk about the second uh, in our William Friedkin double bill 
This time we'll be talking about Sorcerer. Oh, what a film. So good. Brilliant. So we'll be back in just a second to talk about it. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Film Swap Podcast. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, and Google Podcasts, or any of your favourite podcast catchers. If you like this podcast, please consider giving the show a rating or leaving a review. This helps other listeners find the show. And we're back. (laughs) We are back. Uh, (laughs) Listeners, thanks for coming back for the second part of our show. We are going to be talking about the uh, classic uh, action-adventure thriller from William Friedkin, the second of our Friedkin double bill, uh, celebrating the great William Friedkin who passed away on the 7th of August. Uh, It was very sad news uh, when we lost him, and we thought we would do a little tribute to him by uh, talking about uh, a couple of his perhaps lesser-known films. Uh, but obviously, I mean, he made a lot of great films. He made a lot of really interesting films. Mm. Even, you know, he's one of them, even when he's uh, maybe had a little bit of a misfire, they, they were at least interesting and uh, worth checking out. Yeah, well, one of the films we wanted to do, well, I I wanted to choose uh, To Live and Die in L.A., one of his yeah. 80s hits. It's a great, gr- really great film. With really Willem Dafoe, but you can't stream it. Yeah. Oddly enough, at the minute, and I don't know why that is, I guess it's just sort of between licensing agreements or something at the minute, but for some reason, um, that film isn't available to stream anywhere at at the minute. We're recording this on the 1st of September, 2023, so obviously if you listen to this at some point in the future, hopefully that will have changed and that the film will be more widely available. I've I've got a Blu-ray of it, luckily, and I know that recently uh, Kino Lorber in the United States released a 4K UHD uh, disc. So, okay. Uh, and uh, you know, it's a really great film, really exciting. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, police thriller uh, with uh, very much like French connections. Got a lot of really exciting car chases and yep. you know, um, you know, gritty sort of street action and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, uh, how's your beverage today, by the way? It's a fine, I, fine cup. Cheers. Not a bad beverage. Cheers, Jonathan. Wait a second. <laughs> I seem to have the same cup. It does. Oh, it does. It looks lovely. For, for people strange. who are listening and not watching us, like obviously the people who are watching the video version might notice are highly attractive mugs that we're using tonight, uh, which feature our our fantastic uh, film swap logo. Uh, So, uh, and I I do find, I don't know, Jonathan, if you've noticed, but actually my my beverage in particular, when I drink out of this mug, is uh, quite, uh, quite, it's a little bit more refreshing than usual, a little bit more um, tasty and refreshing. Much, much tastier. I would almost say, I would go so far as to say it's about 20% more refreshing when I drink out of this cup. At least 20%. Than other cups. 
at least 50%. So anyway, but, uh, you know, uh, listeners, uh, you could always go and check out our new website because uh, I don't know if I've mentioned yet, but we have a new website and it's uh, actually uh, very easy to remember. It's filmswap.uk. And if you go to that website, uh, you can find very easily the latest episode of Film Swap, which will be featured prominently on the homepage. Uh, we also have some other interesting uh, prizes and surprises coming up in the uh, coming months that uh, will be uh, featured on that webpage. And just for fun, and if you were interested at all in supporting the show, you can uh, pick yourself up one of these very fancy uh, film swap mugs uh, or hats, caps. Uh, you know, we've set up one of them things, haven't we, where we where you can get the film swap uh, uh, T-shirts, uh, hoodies, uh, uh, children's bibs, uh, you know, um, tote bags, whatever you like. So if you want to immerse yourself in middle-aged film nerd chic um that is the the place that you want to go and and uh, investigate because yeah, that's where it's at and who, uh who need who needs uh, um black polo neck and uh, beret exactly when you can go to our website exactly we can even we might even be able to won't we jonathan find some way of bringing tweed into the occasion, uh, we can uh, perhaps uh, work out some film swap tweed jackets or Definitely. or something like that. Um, <laughs> and 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 knowing uh, full well uh, what we're like, I would imagine that aside from the very highly attractive film swap logo uh, with uh, with us pointing at each other, you uh, we may have a little bit of fun with some other designs in the future. So you might want to just keep your eye out on that because we'll we'll probably have a little fun with that and maybe distinct possibility. Some, yeah, with some interesting sort of designs and other sort of film nerd related uh, uh, paraphernalia that might, uh, you know, um, be of interest for, for a laugh. Uh, yeah. And like most of the things we do, like our YouTube channel, everything, everything will be done. Much like our uh, plugging our merchandise here, it will all be done very much with our tongues firmly planted in our cheeks. So, uh, so by all means, look out for that if um, if uh, you care to. But anyway, let's get back to talking about cool films because that's yeah. what we're really here for. We're not here to sell swag. We're here to nope. talk about cool films, and exactly. uh, and that's what it's all about. So. Let's talk about Sorcerer. <clears throat> so uh, Sorcerer came out in 1977, apparently uh, right around the time, although I don't remember, I'm not old enough to remember, but apparently it came out at the same time as Star Wars. Yes. So in the in the battle of the box office, uh, we, we know how that turned out. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Let's put it like this. There isn't a Sorcerer franchise. No, Disney Plus has not got a Sorcerer channel up at the top of their web page no. there. And uh, there you go. But uh, such such is life that uh, William Friedkin, this was his big, if you will, vanity project 
after coming off of the double whammy success of French Connection and The Exorcist. This yeah. was the next project that he did. He was at the like the absolute height of his power. He could basically do whatever he wanted. Apparently, there was several kind of yet several irons in the fire, but this was the one that ended up coming together. Uh, it stars the, the late great Roy Scheider in the lead role. Terrific. It's also actor. got Bruner Kremer and Francisco Rebel, and a man named Amadou, who uh, I'm not massively familiar with uh, with him, but he's really great in this film. Yeah, as one of the uh, the four down and out desperate men uh down in the uh deepest darkest south africa who get pulled into a uh scheme by uh south america south america oh sorry what did i say you said south africa oh scott i'm very very sorry listeners for that it isn't south africa it's south america um do they specify what country it's in in the film, uh, okay. I mean. I mean, it apparently no. it was filmed mainly in the Dominican Republic, but I don't think in the film, I think they leave it um, ambiguous about where it is. Yeah. Um, but, but, but basically, the story of the film, I'll give you just a very, very brief kind of overview. We have four desperate characters, and we get introduced to them in a sort of a prologue in the film where we see these four separate uh, men and their backstories uh, and then we uh, join them down in uh, down in the jungle in a very sweaty, dirty, a very poor town where they are living basically in a desperate uh, uh, life, uh, hiding yeah. away from their pasts. Yeah. Uh, and what happens is there is a, uh, a giant oil company that's down in this neck of the woods that yeah. are they're um extracting oil and uh, as is in all these uh, situations the uh, the oil company is there producing great wealth from this uh, precious goo coming up out of the ground but of course all the people who live and work around the oil uh the oil fields uh, are living in in abject poverty and aren't enjoying any of the benefits that come from the uh, extraction of this oil but in this situation there is an accident and on the oil fields there's a a giant explosion and there's a huge fire as you know when these oil fields catch on fire they they just really catch on fire because the stuff is keeps coming up uh, the fuel keeps coming up and burning so they need to cap the well yeah but um because the, uh, the the place has been quite neglected by the parent company, which again isn't really specified, they are have a bit of a dilemma is because they have a, a warehouse full of uh, dynamite that they would use to blow to, to cap the the uh, this oil well, but they can't use it because it's it's been sitting not stored properly and it's all decayed and it's dripping yeah. with nitroglycerin and it's highly highly dangerous and uh, volatile stuff. So what they need to do is find a way to transport it from A to B so that they can use it to put out the uh, put out the fire. Yeah, basically you blow out the fire by setting up an explosion which sort of 
blows it out, and then you can cap cap yeah. the oil. Then the oil will start gushing out rather than the flames gushing out, and then you can yeah. sort of put a lid on and it. And they can cap it off and stop it. Yeah. yeah, stop the oil from flying out or whatever it is. So, so basically, what they do is these these four desperate men that we uh, were introduced to at the beginning of the film, you know, are living down there and they're trying desperately to find a way to raise some money to get out of there because they want to. They're you know they're obviously unhappy in those kind of conditions. Yep. So uh, the oil company offers these men a very uh, attractive. Uh, amount of money to drive trucks filled with this highly, highly volatile dynamite uh, across the jungle for 200 miles to get to where it needs to be. Now, this is like a high, high, high risk job because this stuff literally is so volatile that just the slightest bump or shake will make it explode. Exactly. Yes, so these men agree to do this, and what follows then is their uh, desperate, fraught, uh, nail-biting journey through the jungle with these trucks uh, uh, over very treacherous terrain yep. in order to get the trucks to, uh, to the oil field so that they can blow up this stuff. And basically that's, in a nutshell, is what the film's all about. Hmm. It's, it is the story of this journey of these four men in these two trucks. Uh, the name of the film, Sorcerer, I think is meant to be the name of one of the trucks. It is. It's painted on the side. Yeah. The, each, the other both, truck the is two called trucks. Lazarus. Yeah. yeah, they both have a have a name painted on the side. And they're yeah. pretty mad-looking trucks as well. They look sort of yeah. very Mad Max style. Well, this is Mad the thing. Max. They have to scavenge them from, like, there's basically like a vehicle graveyard. And the oil, the guys from the company just tell Roy Scheider and these other guys, just go in here and find a couple trucks that are, you know, half decent and fix them up. And that's what you can use. So there's a little sequence in the film where they actually are, going through all these trucks and just trying to find the spare parts and the bits so that they can actually get to operable vehicles that they can use to yep. make this journey. So it's quite uh, quite a uh, exciting story. It is uh, ostensibly a remake of a 1953 film uh, by uh, Clouseau called The Wages of Fear, which <clears throat> is actually one of the biggest classic sort of French films uh, of all time. Uh, it, it tells essentially the same story. It's uh, based on a book by Georges Anod, uh, which was uh, written in the 50s, a, a French uh, thriller. And, and it was first adapted in The Wages of Fear, and then Friedkin decided to do a, uh, a remake in the 70s. Yeah, well, I think uh, Freakin said that it wasn't an adaptation or, or a remake. He said it was an, another adaptation of the same book. Of the book, yeah. He he felt that it wasn't, uh, you know, he he quite often said it wasn't a remake. Yeah, it went back to the fear. source materials. Yeah, he went back to the source material and he wanted to make his own take on the film. And to be fair, the film, although the, the basic story is the same, stylistically and everything the films are quite different yeah. um whereas the wages of fear is, is very exciting and intense and quick and and uh 
and uh, it kind of deals with some of the same issues, but in a in a much different way. And mm. I think uh, Sorcerer is is kind of a different film. It has it a is. different vibe to it and a yeah. different kind of sort of atmosphere to it. And one of the things I would say, I mean, I guess one of the big things is the Sorcerer's color, whereas uh, Wages of Fear is black and white. But one of the uh, big things is that Sorcerer, it's a two-hour film, and the first hour isn't actually in the jungle at all. Mm. It's these um, uh, four uh, stories uh, of the main characters, because there's two lorries, and there's two people in each lorry Mm. or truck. And uh, so the first half of the film is basically about how these four characters end up in the jungle, or uh, basically they're the end of the line, aren't they? They're in a sort of mm. one horse, one one sort of donkey town. I mean, it's really yeah. run down. Amazingly, it's pretty dire. It's pretty dire. Like just like total abject poverty, and everybody's yeah. wearing sort of dirty clothes that they've obviously had on for like six months. And Rains all the time. Yeah, it's just raining. Muddy. And everybody's sweaty, and there's lots Mosquitoes. of insects and bugs yeah. and. And it's all just really just horrible and grimy and, and slimy. Yeah. <laughs> and it does very much, it, it looks like a really, really sort of the end of the line, like you say, the, the absolute sort of worst place that you would want to end up. Yeah. Just really unpleasant. And and the oil company, of course, very callously, callously you know, there there's these horrible accidents and then they just drive up in a truck with all these charred bodies or people with their limbs blown off and they just kind of throw them throw them on the ground in front of the grieving families and just go there you go see you later yeah <laughs> just drive off so it is just really a horrible horrible um, unpleasant environment yes you think blimey I definitely wouldn't want to end up living there <laughs> no and so the four characters there's one from Mexico one from sort of Israel, Palestine, one from uh, uh, France, and one from the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, they, uh, they're, they're, they they all sort of come there by, they've all fled their home countries, basically. They, for, for their lives, essentially, because they've, they've yeah. um, you know, gotten themselves into some sticky situations and they basically had to get out of Dodge real quick. Yeah. And exactly. they've all ended up in this town. Yeah, at the end of the line. Yeah, yeah the absolutely. Line and so <laughs> it is very much like these desperate men who kind of are backed into a corner and they think, yeah, it's high risk, but I'm going to do this because this is my ticket out of here. I can, you know, maybe find somewhere else that's yeah. slightly nicer to go. Um, so, so that's a story, and 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 there's in, some incredible set pieces in it with these. You know, the, obviously the main one is this, where they have to drive the trucks over these just absolutely harrowing looking wooden bridges that are just like literally dilapidated and falling apart and they're just being hung by vines over from trees and they got to drive these big heavy trucks and we know of course that this dynamite is so volatile that the slightest jolt or movement could set it off and blow it up Mm. so these guys are like quite literally like you know riding the wall of death here absolutely yeah. just the 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 sheer risk involved is uh 
is absolutely extraordinary. Well, and so, you can see the bridge, the main, basically there's sort of one fairly rickety bridge and then there's the second bridge, which is the most rickety bridge ever. Yeah. And it, it's basically a bit like one of the bridges in um, uh, Indiana Jones, except for sort of cars or yeah, motor Like you almost think like you bridge. look at it at first and you go, there's no way we'd get a truck over that because yeah. it doesn't even look like it would take people walking over it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even think I'd go over that thing in, on foot. No, well, mind, when I was watching it, I was just, I thought I, I'd love to watch a making of documentary about yeah. that. W what was the bridge? How did, I mean, it's just the most extraordinary scene. Yeah. Really it, one it of the almost best. has a life of its own. It's like a character in the film, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, and apparently they built this thing at great expense. It cost something like $3 million. Oh, really? It. And then they turned out they, the first place that they set it up, they uh, had to move it because apparently against all normal, um, uh, you know, occurrence, expectations. Yeah, the, the the river that they wanted to use suddenly decided to recede. Oh, no. It just sunk down. Ah. And so they, they couldn't use it. It wasn't, you know, what he wanted. So he... Ah. They basically took the whole thing and had to move it and find another place. Oh no! And they shot it there, and then apparently, the the water receded there as well. But what? I guess they then they decided they had to sort of work out ways to film it to make it still look like it was this really high bridge, right? Even though the even though it, it wasn't, so it was all it's all kind of a bit of trickery and you know fancy yeah. filmmaking, editing and stuff that makes it look uh, more harrowing than it probably was in real life mm. but it's just extraordinary and there's the stories yeah. about the making of this Maybe. film because again this is my we like when we talked about heaven's gate yep. this is a film where it was a little bit of a vanity project or this reds man. yeah or reds yeah this is like, like the was... third vanity project film we've had <laughs> yeah well you know they're <laughs> but they're good ones they're really great ones and the thing is this is where william Friedkin he'd come off of just two of the like the biggest hit films ever and yeah. he basically was like i want to do this and everyone else was like yeah that doesn't sound like such a good idea well, i don't huh. you know and he was like no no i want to do this apparently roy scheider wasn't his first choice apparently he spoke to several other uh, actors uh, initially were his first choice to do the film and they all turned it down they all said i'm not, i don't want to do it Wow. And so in the end, he, he went with Roy Scheider, who the studio want Universal, because the the year previous to production, he'd been in Jaws. He was one yep. of the stars of Jaws. and uh, But apparently, William Friedkin didn't get on with him very well, because mm. obviously Roy Scheider was in uh, The French Connection, so they'd worked together previously. Oh, right. Apparently, William Friedkin wasn't a, you know, he didn't really, they didn't get on, let's just put it that way. They weren't like... They weren't booze and buddies, oh, really? but the studio wanted Roy Scheider because he had just come off of Jaws and he was, I guess, was, you know, uh, yeah. his star was in ascendance at the he time. Was Chief so they, Brody. Chief Brody. And, he was uh, Chief Brody. Uh, Jaws. Yeah, definitely. So they were sort of like, they were pushing him. And in the end, he relented because that was the way for him to get the financing to make the film. Right. So they went down into the jungle and they had all the huge, huge cost overruns and all kinds of problems during the production. And, uh, but then, uh, when the film came out, it, it basically 
got slated. And I, I mean, I think it's fairly common occurrence whenever you have a remake of a really famous classic yeah. film, there's almost inevitably people will go, oh, well, it's not as good as the original. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Wages of Fear is absolutely a great film and definitely yeah. people should go out and it see is. that as well. Terrific film. Yeah, but this film has its own merits, I think, because, and it is a very different film. It's so atmospheric and then all this incredible stuff in the jungle and, and it's got that uh, cool, ta it's Tangerine Dream, isn't it? Is it Tangerine, Tangerine Dream? Tangerine Dream, yeah, that's yeah, who does, does they the soundtrack. Yeah, the score for it, so it's got this really atmospheric kind of uh, moody sort of uh, electronic kind of ambient soundtrack which yeah, really it's cool adds, i love it that was yeah one of yeah it's really really, really cool a really really cool soundtrack that that really adds to the atmosphere of the film and gives it that really sort of cool vibe this kind of descent into kind of almost like in hell in a way isn't it sort of like this you know uh, dante's inferno kind yeah. of vibe to it where these guys these desperate men who've been driven down into this sort of uh, hot sweaty dangerous frightening environment and then have to uh, go through this absolutely harrowing journey in these trucks to to get to where they're going and all yep. and the, the the obstacles and challenges that they experience along the way yeah cause it's not so much a road they're driving down as a sort of um elongated mountain range really yeah, they're sort of just yeah. <laughs> it's just a sort of somebody's chopped down a few trees and there's <laughs> yeah yeah these aren't roads they're sort of like these muddy you know slippery sort of downhill slopes through the jungle mm. all around and then at one point they get stopped by a giant you know and these trees must have been like sort of thousands of years old and they were just these huge things and one of them has fallen over and they have to get round it and of course, so they did decide to, um, you know, I won't spoil it because obviously if someone hasn't seen the film, I don't want to sort of say what, how things go yeah. and meet these things. But it's basically just these series of obstacles that they encounter as they're trying to get these yeah. trucks. And all the while, these, these crates of this, you know, uh, highly explosive stuff is sitting in the back. And you yeah. know the slightest little bump or, or anything is going to make this stuff blow up. So it's just absolutely nail-biting tension. And um, obviously the first time you see it, you, you know, because I've seen this film probably, you know, I don't know, maybe seen it half a dozen times yeah. through, throughout my life. Uh, and so for me, obviously that side of it is a little bit, um, less uh, effective because I've seen it several times. So I, I kind of know, how it turns out, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I would say the very first time you see the film, you literally will be digging your nails into the chair and, and sort of sitting on the edge of your seat going, oh, oh my God, oh my God, like this. <laughs> well, it's like that, that, isn't it? that was the thing for me, because I, I, well, I watched Wages of Fear, I don't know, about 10 years ago, and I did feel like, you know, will the um, things go off? Mm -hmm. But in this one, I would say that is the one thing I slightly felt like, I mean, basically there's, you know, these are very, very bad roads, barely roads. And somehow I thought if they were, it was really that dangerous, 
things would have gone, the, the dynamite would have exploded right at the beginning, <laughs> essentially. So I, mm. I, that was the, the aspect of the story that didn't quite wash with me. Mm. Um, but, and it, I felt like it did a bit more in The Wages of Fear, but that it was really my one sort of issue with it. Other than that, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, just, just even if they hadn't got any nitroglycerine driving across that bridge. Yeah, definitely. amazing. And then when the with the, uh, encountering the fall, the fallen tree was another great scene. I, I won't explain mm. how they do it, but essentially you have to use ingenu- ingenuity. Mm. And ingenuity is a sort of quality in a film you don't get very often, and it's mm. a really uh, enjoyable sort of uh, thing. Yeah. It's a very clever, you know, and it is because it's interesting with that character because it calls on, he has a, you know, again, without going into details and spoiling it, but in the first part of the film, we establish his background and that he has a certain skill set, shall we say, that in this case, he he can pull into play to help them uh, get around this massive obstacle. So, um so that again makes it interesting about how all these guys who had come from completely different backgrounds, completely different scenarios about how they ended up there, and they're people who probably normally wouldn't have anything to do with each other Absolutely whatsoever, not. but yeah. they've been brought together, and it's how they have to work together to to uh, get through this ordeal and get get through to the other side. Yes, and uh, and, and call upon their various sort of skills in order to do that so there's mm. that element to it as well that makes it quite quite interesting i saw that apparently um the 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 part of the plot was also used um in a macgyver episode in the 80s <laughs> right. uh, because that's another sort of well, a tv show that it used a lot of ingenuity because when i was watching it, i was thinking oh this is a bit like macgyver and <laughs> Yeah, I remember MacGyver. I remember that, like, because that was good. That was the whole thing about that show is that he was, he used his brains and his wits exactly. to, to to get in, you know, to sort out problems rather than he didn't have a gun and he didn't, you know, do fisticuffs and kick people in the in the backside or whatever. He he used his wits to exactly his science knowledge and stuff like that to yeah. solve problems instead. And so this film is a little bit like that, although there is conflict and there are times oh, yeah. when tempers fray and, and people get frustrated and there's there's uh, things like that. And there is, I, I mean, that was something else I noticed too about watching it this time was the explosions are like proper, like really harrowing. There's mm. the bit, obviously there's a bit at the beginning and then there's the, there's uh, the when the oil well blows up or when you yeah. have the explosions on the oil field these explosions are very like you know really violent powerful and they look really real and and yeah. uh, there was something about them because you see explosions in films and tv shows all the time and yeah. they're always that sort of real big fireball and they're big orange glowing thing and they kind of slightly have that kind of you know, stagey kind of look yeah. to them, but these explosions are really like proper. You know, yeah. The, the explosion at the oil well was very visceral. The accident. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the aftermath of it, so it's all yeah. quite like it's all extraordinary kind of filmmaking. And like I say, those explosions really feel 
and look real and mm. very harrowing and, and uh, frightening. Yeah. Uh, and so that's uh, that was something else that struck me about watching it this time. Yeah, well, I think that's part of uh, William Friedkin's sort of uh, shtick, as it were, is his uh, use of cinema verite, isn't it? That sort of mm. authentic, um, you know, documentary style, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was he used it to great effect in the French Connection, which although yep. I knew we weren't going to be talking about it uh, in this episode because we just kind of thought it was too famous a film and too obvious a choice. Yep. If we were going to celebrate William Friedkin, just go, oh, another another person talking about the French Connection. And I don't think it needs any selling because it's a very famous film and everybody's seen it or wants to see it or will see it at some point. Yep. But it does have, I did watch it just last week and uh, it's the first time I'd seen it in a few years and it is like a really great film and really, yeah. really exciting. And he does, and that's part of it. It just has that handheld documentary yeah. kind of feel to it, even though it's kind of in at its heart, it's a police procedural, yeah. but it has that kind of gritty, you know, level kind of, you know, sort of vibe to it that really, really makes it work uh, as a really exciting yeah. visceral piece of film. And that's what's so great about it and what makes it so uh, appealing, I think. Yeah, well, this one has sort of the, the handheld shaky camera thing yeah. as well, doesn't it? Yeah, and just the look of the whole, the, the forest and the colors and the, you know, the whole thing, like I said, it just kind of feels like this kind of descent into hell where everything just looks yeah. woozy. Hot. Yeah, woozy. hot and oozing and kind of damp and, you, yeah. know, you know, really gritty. And it really has that amazing look to it Yeah, that, uh, that really adds to the atmosphere and the feeling of dread and stuff that you get in the film as it progresses and that bit at the end, again, towards the end, there's that moment where um, there's that landscape with yeah. all the weird kind of Bis formations. It's and, filmed in New Mexico, a place called the yeah. Bisti de Nazin Wilderness. Yeah, and that that's an amazing sequence where a kind of Roy yeah. Scheider is sort of hallucinating a bit and sort of wandering amongst these formations and the color scheme is really sort of um odd and and it looks otherworldly it's like this little sequence where he's walking through an alien landscape almost and uh it's quite it's got a really cool sort of um i keep using the word vibe but i think that's kind of because it's a 70s kind of mid 70s kind of it's kind yeah of it definitely has a vibe that one <laughs> so <laughs> So anyway, it's really visually a really striking film, and like like we said, even the, the the bridges and the buildings all have like a character. They almost look like, and the trucks hmm. have this like there's the, the, those shots of the 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 truck where it almost looks like it has teeth, yeah, and and this sort of jagged kind of look to it. it. It sort of reminded me a bit of that. Uh, you know, the John Carpenter film where the car comes to life. Um, it's based on a Stephen King novel. Um, yeah. uh, Chris, Christine, it's called. Christine, yes. yeah. where the where the car is like a, like possessed or whatever. Yeah. And that's quite a good film as well. It's quite a fun film. But, um, you know, there's the, the where it almost looks like the car has 
you know, these devil eyes and teeth and stuff. Yep. And the trucks are a bit like that in this, aren't they? They really have a lot of character. They do, yeah. <laughs> have a, you know, a look to them almost like they're, you know, these kind of demons almost. Yeah. You know, so maybe yeah. uh, also thinking of the sort of cars in um, uh, Cuba, which is where they're still running sort of 1950s cars. Mm. And so these are sort of really ancient sort of 40s, 50s, uh, lorries, trucks, yeah, which they're still like, somehow keeping going, sort of 20, kind of discarded years. army trucks or something, and they've kind of like pieced them together from bits. They've kind of scavenged from all yeah. kinds of different ones and just sort of, you know, glued it together with uh, sort of sticky tape, and <laughs> yeah. you know, that's uh, so. That's really, um, yeah. It's a really, it's a really cool film, and I think it's it's one of those. Um, Interestingly enough, I think the first time I saw it many years ago, like I probably saw it on pay TV or something back in the day, and I, uh, the the opening bit, because apparently they, when they distributed it later on, because it hadn't been successful, they kind of cut down that opening bit with the, that introduces the, the characters. Oh, right. Okay. So I, I very much remember the first time I saw it, it was on a television. Like I say, it was like on pay TV or something. Yeah. Um, but it, um, I think it just kind of started with the Roy Scheider, his character bit that establishes his character. Really? And they kind of cut out all the stuff really? at the beginning with the other wow. guys. And then it just sort of, it shows his bit and then goes right into them being in the jungle. Okay. And they don't really give you all the background stuff of the, the other characters. Right. Um, so the first time I saw it, I remember it, it was a little bit shorter and they kind of condensed that opening bit. Okay. And they maybe made other, I don't know. Uh, but luckily, because uh, what happened, the film just wasn't really readily available for many years. I mean, it might there might have been the odd DVD release or something, but it was one of those films that wasn't particularly well known. Yeah. It wasn't really easy to come by or to find. Yeah. And apparently uh, William Friedkin um, uh, sued. I don't know if it was Universal or Paramount or both of them. Oh, yeah. He actually sued them to get them to release it on home video, to reissue really? it, because he, he was like, well, they, they just basically won't put the film out. <laughs> and, uh, so he basically you know and then of course they just settled it and they and they did a really nice restoration so the current blu-ray the, the one i've got from warner home video is really beautiful really beautiful transfer and the film looks absolutely amazing the best yeah. i'd ever seen it um and that's the one i watched it on uh, a couple nights ago but but it, this film became a bit of a rarity I mean, I think you probably, if you really dug and looked for it, you could get your hands on it. Yeah. But it wasn't something that was, you know, sort of readily available, like, say, The Exorcist or something would be. No. So it's only in the last sort of maybe, I think it was, what, about 2012, 2013, when they did the restoration okay. and reissued it on Blu-ray. And uh, so now I think it's been reappraised a little bit and it's developed a bit more of a you know, following that people say, actually, this, this film's really cool. Well, it's a great film. And it was just really bad luck that it, it's not better known because it came out the same year as um, uh, Star Wars, which is, yeah, you know, which is one of the biggest films of all time. And it's yeah, sort of very, also much more accessible, really, than, I mean, yeah. well, not much more accessible, just, I don't know, just, 
yeah, it just Star Wars. You know, what do I have to say? Well, it's yeah, like, I mean, Star Wars is a more positive and accessible and exciting sort of, you know, bright thing. Yeah. And this thing is, is dark and, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word dreary because the film is very exciting. Definitely and, not and, dreary, and, I wouldn't yeah, say. It's not, it's not slow or boring or anything like no. that, but it but it does have a completely different, more pessimistic sort of yeah. uh, feeling and atmosphere to it. Yeah, it's like it's a bit of a darker story and, yeah. and more. It's like Blue Chip. Know. It's a bit more cynical. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, and and I think that is maybe part of the reason why the films weren't as well received. And like mm. I say, I think there's always that backlash whenever you do a remake of something. Yeah. And even I'm like that because I sort of like I get really annoyed nowadays. Like there's remakes and rehashes and mm. reboots of all kinds of stuff all the time, and it's you know usually they are they tend to be inferior and yeah. sort of miss the point, and you know they more seem more like marketing uh, things than they are actual filmmaking. But yep. this film is a bit different. I think he had a definite sort of vision about how he wanted to tell yeah. the story, and and it isn't it isn't the same film as Wages of Fear. I think no. they they have the same basic story, but they have a completely different sort of feel and and um, yeah, you know, and style to them. I think so. I think they they sit comfortably together, in my opinion. I think they're both great films, both worth checking out. Definitely. Um, and one of the interesting things is about it, uh, my, uh, this was my last sort of point, is that, um, so the film's called The Sorcerer, which is named after one of the trucks, stroke lorries. Mm. And um, so, and Freakin said, Sorcerer is, of course, an evil wizard. And in, in this case, the evil wizard is fate. And he said, I wasn't prepared for my success or failure. I felt buffeted by fate with any, without any control over my destiny. And then um, he goes on to sort of reflect that uh, fate is waiting around the corner to kick you in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess, you know, so his successful failure, so he'd just come out, had two immense successes, um, and then this one was a failure. And, uh, well, comparatively... Um, commercially, commercial, commercial failure, failure. commercial failure, yeah. not it's necessarily not artistic, artistic failure. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you can sort of see that uh, it sort of makes sense because this this film, a lot of it's sort of a best about fate as well, um, mm. and perhaps that's another theme we could have looked at from the beginning: fate in the films of uh, William Friedkin. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's. I think that's a great point to leave it on because I'm lo I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking we're 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 going quite long because there's a lot to talk about in these films. They both they got a lot of interesting yeah. things, and yep. I'm sure with Sorcerer we probably. I mean, there's probably lots more stuff that we. Oh can yeah, well, it's got on. the most enormous Wikipedia page if you're interested in it. Yeah, definitely check out more, and by all means, I mean I think um, I watched it on Blu-ray. I've got uh, I've got the Blu-ray from Warner Home Video, but um, how did you watch it, Jonathan? I watched, you... I streamed it. I think I streamed it on uh, YouTube. Yeah, I, I, I did yeah. stream it on YouTube. Well, I did have a look, and it is pretty readily available on all the usual streaming services and things as, as a rental or a purchase. 
uh, and I definitely highest recommendation. This this is a really really cool film, uh, really uh, exciting and, and interesting and uh, um, thoughtful and definitely definitely worth checking out yeah uh, probably i i would go so far as to say it's one of freaking's best one of the best films that he made uh and that this is someone who made a lot of really interesting films and a lot of good films yeah uh, he, he was a really great talent and i was uh, i was uh, sad when i heard the news that he'd uh, he'd, he'd left us but he did have a he did have a long life though he That's... did indeed he did indeed and uh, I mean, we didn't really go because uh, we were we talked about the specific films. We didn't really go into his background or his history or any of his story or whatever. Because I think that's something that people, if you're really interested in finding that out, go go and uh, you know, yeah, look up on Wikipedia or do a little bit of research. Yep. Uh, the Blu-ray for Sorcerer comes with a little book that's actually got excerpts from his autobiography. Right. Uh, obviously, specifically the bits where he talks about Sorcerer, but he did write a, a really good autobiography that if people are interested. Yep. And Jonathan, you've mentioned before, we've both read it, um, but um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Raging Bulls? Or, oh, yeah. Um, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls. Easy, yeah, that's a really good book that talks a little bit yeah. about... Um, because uh, William Friedkin is often lumped in with the new Hollywood lot, but obviously yep. he didn't. He wasn't a film school guy. He kind of came up in sort of television and documentaries and things like that. But then he's got into feature films in sort of the late '60s, early '70s, around the same time that the Scorsese and George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola were coming up as well. So mm. he tends to kind of get lumped into that same category as these these kind of this new wave of directors who came up in the sort yep. of in that time period uh but he had a little bit of a different background and and, and stuff from some of those others uh, and he's he was quite an interesting guy and quite famous for his outspokenness as well i mean there's lots of really funny interview clips with him sort of effing and blinding and really sort of you know when people ask him questions he's let's just shall we say he's very he was he was very direct in his answers okay. <laughs> and uh you know not at, at all coy in um right uh speaking of his mind okay. about uh, people's places and things so so he was always interesting in interviews and stuff like that yeah but um yeah, well, hopefully we've uh, done him some sort of justice today in paying so. him a bit of a tribute uh, and definitely recommend that you go and check out Sorcerer and Blue Chips because they're both really, really good films and, and uh, worth a watch, yeah. definitely. And, and and a lot of his other films as well, um, you know, the, the Exorcist and French Connection are great as well, so you go and check those Absolutely. out. Uh, to Live and Die in L.A. and... He's, uh, you know, got one or two others that are quite interesting as well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, by all means, go go and search them out and get watching. And then Definitely. once you've done that, come back in a couple of weeks because Jonathan and I will be back yeah. with another episode of Film Swap. Oh, my goodness. So oh. once you're done watching freaking <laughs> films, then you can suggest when you've reached, uh, you know, the freaking limit, then you can say, well, okay, what else is there to watch? You can come back and we'll tell you about a couple more yeah. films. 
Uh, and we do have some some guests and things lined up that are coming up in the next few episodes as well. Obviously, we gotta you know juggle around schedules and line people up in the right time and stuff uh, with time zones and stuff. But we do have some some cool guests and things that uh, we're lining up. Uh, for, you know, over the next few episodes, but we we're not going to commit to anything here because plans chop and change, don't they, Jonathan? As we found over the summer, mm-hmm. where some of our uh, best laid plans have uh, gone awry at the last minute, and we had to sort of yeah. scramble to 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 change our plans a little bit. But whatever happens, we'll be back to talk about really cool films. And uh, by all means, if you have any suggestions or ideas uh, or uh, films that you want to recommend or talk about, or you have any comments or things about what we uh, were talking about tonight, um, by all means, drop us a line, reach out and uh, talk to us because we we love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your feedback. And um, also, I want to give a very quick shout out. To we we find we've got people and we're very honored and and amazed that people uh, is, is in Japan and Spain and uh, Russia and uh, and uh, Finland and all sorts of countries are tuning in and listening to us and that you know that's really amazing. So wherever you are in the world, greetings, hello, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we hope you're doing well wherever you are and uh, taking care and watching lots of cool films. Absolutely. And, uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks. So Definitely. we'll see you soon. Thanks for thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, that's the thing these nerdy middle-aged men get up to. Oh. <laughs>